Welcome to Healthy Voyager Radio. I'll be your host, the Healthy Voyager, Carolyn Scott. Thanks for tuning in to Healthy Voyager Radio. I'm your host, Carolyn Scott Hamilton, the Healthy Voyager. Uh, first, before we get started, I have a quick event announcement. For you uh, Southern California listeners, Compassionate Cuisine is back this year for its fifth annual Bigger and Better Compassionate Cuisine event. On Friday, October 1st, if you visit Cal State Long Beach at their Japanese gardens, you can sample delicious vegan food from 20 vendors all night long. The event will begin at 7 p.m. and go until 11 p.m. Proceeds benefit Animal Acres, and for more information, you can check out CompassionateCuisine.net. So be there if you're going to be in town that weekend. Again, it's October 1st from 7 to 11 p.m. at Cal State Long Beach Japanese Gardens. And all the money goes to a wonderful place. So please check them out at CompassionateCuisine.net. All right, I am crazy excited for today's show. My guests are well-known experts in the field of plant-based health and are promoting it via medicine, food, and fun. While both are different in their approach, the message is still the same. A plant-based diet is the way to achieve optimal health. And on top of it, it's not hard at all. And these guests have undergone years of research and experiments to prove their claims. And the great thing about that is that their research has reached the masses via books and films that have now revolutionized the way that we think about food and its effect on our health. Um, And people can tout eco and health all they want, but unfortunately, but fortunately, it's the cold hard evidence that really makes it much harder for skeptics to ignore. And while they still do, their stance is becoming more and more weak when these findings are exposed. Um, So for a lot of people, they may look for certain information, but because they can't really stand by the information, they don't believe it or they don't want to completely believe it. So with um, with the real proof, it's uh, it's much harder for people to kind of just slough it off. So uh, very exciting that more and more research is being uh, more exposed via books and films. So I've done a number of shows on the power of media in advancing the message of health via a plant-based diet as well as how things like fashion can really help spread the word. I mean, it's all good. It's all a wonderful message going in the right direction. But while it's all great and fun and entertaining, the thing is, and I feel uh, what tips the scales in our favor, is fact. And it's pretty tough to argue with someone when they've done the work and can show you numbers, documented results, etc. So I'm really happy with the work that has been done by my upcoming guests as it makes my life a whole lot easier because now – I and other health advocates can use them as tools for our trade. And despite my years of schooling and knowledge, again, resources like these books and films um, from my upcoming guests really help bolster my argument and passion for what I do. And uh, that way I can give people things to kind of digest on their own time uh, and not just my rambling. So really great stuff. So I want to get right to my guest this week. So let's take a short break. And when I return... I will be chatting with my hero in health, Dr. T. Colin Campbell. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. What's the champ wearing? Looks like an examination gown. And from the back... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the get-up? I've got to take care of my family, so I'm getting those important medical screenings. The fight is over. Champ, you look pretty healthy out there tonight. But I'm still getting those tests. For a list of tests you need, go to AHRQ.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to AHRQ.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Healthy Voyager Radio. My first guest is not only a doctor, but to many, a revolutionary. The man behind the China study, the T. Colin Campbell Foundation, as well as the E. Cornell Plant-Based Nutrition Certification Program, I am beyond honored to have him on the show with me today. And with no further delay, I welcome Dr. T. Colin Campbell. Hello, Dr. Campbell. Hello, and it's a pleasure to be on it. Thank you so much. So for... For those of you, uh, for those of our listeners who don't know you, can you tell us about the journey that brought you to begin the research that is now known as the China Study? Well, I spent most of my years at Cornell University. Um, I actually was raised on a dairy farm, uh, went away to school uh, at Penn State University of Georgia, eventually to Cornell where I did my doctorate. 
and uh, started my doctoral research uh, on an idea that was exactly opposite where I am today. It was research uh, intended to promote uh, animal-based protein, a good high-quality protein for more consumption. Mm -hmm. But then uh, after having finished my graduate work and spent about uh, some time at MIT and 10 years at Virginia Tech, I returned to Cornell in 1975 as a full professor at that time and spent the rest of my years there. Um, I had a big research program, a big experimental research program with lots of students during all those years. Uh, research program mostly funded by the National Institutes of Health, NIH, and so our work was published extensively in professional journals uh, through the years. Uh, and it actually was focused on this question concerning protein, especially its relationship with cancer, because in the early years, I was uh, responsible for coordinating a uh, feeding program for malnourished children in the Philippines. Mm. And I, I saw something there was kind of odd. Uh, that is, uh, children aged four and under, uh, according to my medical colleagues, uh, some of them were getting, uh, I mean, the children were getting uh, liver cancer. And then just sort of uh, nosing around a bit, I, I noticed that these families who had these kind of children were the ones who, the few families who were consuming the most protein. And we had to go on to the Philippines to actually encourage more consumption of protein, which was consistent with what I had done at the beginning. So um, all of a sudden, more protein, more cancer. And that led to the research then funded by NIH for the next 27 years, mostly at Virginia Tech and, and Cornell, and actually most at Cornell. And we, we learned some remarkable things that I could turn on and turn off cancer growth in experimental animal studies simply by offering animal-based protein, in this case with the protein of cow's milk, um, and that would turn it on. Uh, if I took it away or replaced it with plant protein, I could turn off the cancer development. So it, that was pretty remarkable in the sense that we could control cancer through nutritional means, uh, especially with protein. And uh, we learned a lot of things uh, at that time, and, and so the story became much larger than just the question of protein and cancer. Mm. I became interested in a lot of other nutritional characteristics, too, other nutrients, other cancers, other non-cancer situations. And eventually, we got to the so-called China study, a big human study in China, a big comprehensive study where we could measure lots and lots of things and compare to a lot of disease outcomes. And uh, at the end of all that period, uh, we had both experimental data from the laboratory and we had data from human studies, and we compared all this information, which led me to a conclusion that was, as I say, almost diametrically opposed to what I started out with, namely, uh, when we start consuming animal-based foods and getting away from whole plant-based foods, we get into trouble. Uh, it increases the risk for heart disease, it increases the risk for cancer, diabetes, uh, obesity, and a variety of other diseases. And so um, eventually then I sat down to try to write a book, partly to see if I could you know, uh, combine or collect all the data that we had gotten and, and, and in a sense see if I could write it for myself. And I did it with my son, who now is a medical doctor himself. Um, and uh, we published the book in 2005. We had the title called The China Study. Uh, wasn't a very good title, I think. That was the choice of our publisher. But nonetheless, we had this book called The China Study. came out in 2005. Now it's going into its sixth year. Um, and it's, it's been overwhelming. Uh, the, it's been a national bestseller many times over, uh, and its sales keep on getting higher, even now, as I say, going on to six years. It's beginning to attract a lot of attention, a lot of uh, very significant people in the world, uh, the most recent of whom was uh, President uh, Bill Clinton, who uh, told on CNN here just two or three nights ago uh, how he, in fact, gained... Uh, the health that everybody knew he did, you know, in time for the wedding. Mm. And so um, that was a pretty remarkable statement from a, a very significant uh, man. And um, so I, I, I'm enthusiastic now that uh, we're beginning to understand what nutrition really is. And by, by that I mean that when we consume uh, whole plant-based foods, you know, a variety of them, of course, are rich in uh, the colored vegetables, especially fruits, whole grains, uh, legumes. When you consume that kind of diet, really stay with it and don't mm -hmm. add back a lot of salt and sugar and fat. Uh, the, the health benefits of that are really remarkable. When I say remarkable, I'm not talking about just preventing future cancers and heart disease and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. I'm actually talking about 
use that kind of diet to actually cure these diseases. I know that's a strange word to use for a lot of people, <laughs> uh, but you know, quite frankly, that's what my colleague at the Cleveland Clinic, clinic did, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, very good friend of mine now, uh, and he took people who were with advanced heart disease and he cured their heart disease very simply with the same with the same approach. And Dr. Esselstyn, time he did that, and I we didn't know each other. That was his own um, initiative. Uh, but then uh, we realized his clinical experience, my scientific experience, uh, are one and the same. Dr. John McDougall uh, in California did it with uh, diabetes, has done it. Dr. Neil Bernard in Washington, these are all MD doctors, mm-hmm. uh, and many others now have actually shown that this same dietary approach can uh, basically cure type 2, type 2 diabetes and actually substantially reduce the amount of medication that is required for even type 1 diabetes. And so in the book that I wrote, I wrote I, with my son, we kind of summarized all this together. I tried to and it, it attempted to draw some principles uh, that we might live with. Um, and uh, all I can say is nutrition is one monumental, effective science. That for sure. Out of, and it's been left out of the medical training program. Uh, there's not a medical school in the United States that appropriate teaches this to doctors. Most doctors don't even get any training at all. Mm. Uh, it's a different model. And in my business and research, uh, I might mention that the National Institutes of Health, NIH, very prestigious, well-known uh, research agency, the most influential medical research agency in the world, uh, they are made up of actually 27 institutes and programs and centers. We've got the Heart Institute, the Cancer Institute, and so forth and so on. They've got 27 institutes. There's not one called the Institute of Nutrition. And so the question arises, uh, especially since the public is so confused about nutrition, the question arises, why has nutrition been, um, you know, almost dismissed or certainly denigrated as a serious approach to uh, control of health and, and, uh, you know, treatment Mm -hmm. of people who become unhealthy? And I'm writing a second book on that right now, just about done. It has a fascinating historical context, uh, and as well as cultural and economic scientific context. And uh, so I've I, I become a, a, a enthusiast, I guess, mm-hmm. for trying to get, uh, bring this message to the American public, uh, especially since it was the American taxpayer who paid for my research. I, mean, I feel a great deal of responsibility to report back to them you know, what we learned over all those years. Absolutely, and, uh, and and so I, I as I say, I'm a, I'm a great promoter of the idea. That it's time for us to start thinking about nutrition, because it can do more. This approach that I'm talking about, quite frankly, can do more than all the drugs put together. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So I'm, I'm, talking, I'm really talking about. It's also um, it, it also confronts the idea that somehow we get diseases because of our, because of our genetic background. That's another sort of major statement. Uh, a third, I think, statement worth making is that th- I'm talking about whole plant-based foods, uh, not the fragmented parts. Mm. Uh, and of course, emphasizing plants. When I talk about fragmented parts, here's here's what I mean as an example. When we take out the sugar at plants, or we take out the white flour at plants, and maybe we add some oils taken from plants. It's all plant-based, you see. But we sort of mix all that up, and, and in fact, we get a donut or a Danish. And so that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, using the whole plant food in the first place um, as nature had provided it. And uh, using a minimum, minimum amount of cooking, uh, you know, don't overcook things, don't fry things, you know, don't add all the sugar and the salt, you know, that a lot of people tend to want to do. Um, and so with, with that approach, uh, the results, and that's what uh, President Clinton just told about on CNN just a couple of nights ago to Wolf Blitzer. I mean, he, he lost 24 pounds. He looked great at the wedding. Everybody knew it. Uh, and uh, he, you know, is basically reversing his heart condition. Absolutely. I can tell he's done it earlier. Very, enthusi- <laughs> very, very enthusiastic for it. And, and there's a lot of people, the feedback we're getting now uh, is, is really pretty remarkable. I probably have given 300 lectures or more, actually more, I'm sure, 
since the book came out, and most of my lectures now are to medical schools or medical conferences, and uh, which is very nice because I'm speaking, of course, to the professionals who need to know, who don't know. And in the beginning, uh, I think there was a lot of skepticism, certainly silence. But in more recent times, I'm happy to say that the physicians who went to medical school because they really wanted to treat people, that was their idea. Mm. Uh, but, they, but they weren't given this kind of tool to think about. And so what I'm finding is a lot of enthusiastic physicians now starting to recognize this, and some of them starting to use it in their practice and get remarkable results. So I'm going to argue that we are on the cusp, you know, of a new revolution in health mm -hmm. uh, that uh, actually not only has an ability to improve and promote health in a far better manner than we've ever known before, but in the process to cut health care costs. And as everyone knows, that's a huge problem in our country today. Mm. We spend the most per capita of any country in the world, but we are ranked very low compared to other countries that spend much less. So the question is, why, why is this happening? It's, it's really almost obscene. And uh, so I, I think, you know, if we can figure out ways to convey this information to the public, and of course you're doing a, your, your, uh, your very good job, Carolyn, by organizing something like this. Thank you. Um, I both also thought some, uh, have some ideas now, too, to how to not only convey this information to the public, but also to arrange for programs and an infrastructure that can allow people to continue to comply mm -hmm. once they change. So that's my introduction. Sorry for so long. But that's no, it's, it's wonderful. I didn't have to ask any of my questions. <laughs> uh, but what I did want to say is, and, and I've noticed so much when I've seen you in interviews, you have such grace under pressure when you've been attacked by people from the meat industry and other nutritionists who say that you've got to eat meat. How, do you, how are you able to combat these naysayers? And I know with the information you give me, like I'm already convinced I've been vegan 12 years, but uh, for those who are kind of teetering or the skeptics, how do you continue to combat those, those negative uh, attacks, I guess? Well, I start out with uh, pretty much a presumption. I don't like to attack individuals to start with. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I allow for the fact that individuals who may strongly disagree with me, I allow for the fact that they are convinced what they're talking about. Uh, they're not really trying to be uh, devious or mean or dishonest. Uh, and, and I think they're just, uh, in, in a sense, uh, misinformed. Uh, and so then I ask myself, you know, why are people like that uh, misinformed? And, and why do they feel so strongly about it? And uh, from my perspective, I would argue it has to do with the system within which we live. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of people are members of institutions. They may be members of government, maybe members of industry that are going to be, you know, negatively impacted. Or they may be academics who are, you know, uh, or doctors. Um, and so I, I would suggest that the, if you look at the system structure, this is a systemic thing. If you look at the, the structure of our systems, then you can see how we have become entrenched in this other way of thinking, and, and it's difficult to get out of it. And, and for people who are within these systems, whether it's a doctor or a scientist or a politician, for them to get out of it, 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 it really is it's a risk for them to do that because they can lose their jobs maybe, or they, mm. um, you know, they can run into difficulties. So um, that's what we need to to understand is that we have a system, you know, that, that really has that, that have been formed on a, on a sort of a, a cultural, economic, scientific, philosophical basis that is actually wrong. And so that's what I'm writing my second book about is that, you know, what, what do I mean by these systems? And, and, you know, we can talk about individual institutions sort of holding a lot of power for, this, for these reasons, but, you know, when you think of institutions and systems in the aggregate, you know, now we're talking about a whole, let's just say, Western philosophy. Um, uh, then, you know, I could say the same thing about the whole, you know, the whole society. Mm. You know, they sort of ask the question, how do we come to believe, you know, the wrong thing? And it, how, to, how can we change? And I, I've got some really exciting ideas that I'm really convinced can change things. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a tall task uh, because I, what I really want to do, and I, I don't hesitate to mention this, working with my sons, plural, 
Um, we are in the business now of attempt. I want to simply organize a demonstration project to show how this can be done and record it carefully, you know, collect the data, get it published at Best Journals, and then in the process uh, actually test and demonstrate an infrastructure that can be put into place and rep be replicated across the country. So um, I, I'm excited about this. It's a, it's a kind of, if you will, maybe you could call it a wellness program. I don't particularly like to use that uh, term too much because there's many wellness programs I don't think are, are obviously doing anything near what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'm talking about you know a program that can be used, especially with an industry, you know, self-insured industries uh, who are concerned about the bottom line of the whole reason. And um, so we're able to put that into place. My, my one son, my oldest son, uh, is actually engaged in in uh, this program. It's a, it's a very sophisticated program. I'm not going to course discuss that you know in the details here but just suffice it to say it's all born out of this interest in getting back to the American public and tell them what I did with their money this is not for me to make money I, I don't take any money from this kind of thing but it has to be you know a program that is you know economically um, you know, will, will sustain itself so to speak mm -hmm. within, within our system but at the same time do what needs to be done and, uh, what sorts of programs and services do you offer now through the T. Colin Campbell Foundation? Well, the main thing we, we have done, and this uh, I have to thank my young colleagues uh, for this, who have done a remarkable job in the last two years with this, uh, with this thing. I this foundation, of course, had had it for a while. Uh, got some funding in that early on. And uh, so we organized an online course called Plant-Based Nutrition. There are actually three courses called Plant-Based Nutrition. Uh, and then we joined, we, we did this, used a format uh, while we were working collectively and jointly with the company that makes our online courses, a uh, company that's owned totally by Cornell University. So it's a Cornell University online course company. We got together with them. They have done a nice job of developing a format you know, for people to take the course. And so we started that about a year and a half ago. Uh, people can go online. They become, uh, and at one point in time, they become a member of a class or a section of a class of about 30 to 32 people. Uh, and then we'll take two weeks to listen to the lectures online. Most of them are mine. Now we're in many other people too. They listen to the lectures. They engage in uh, discussions. They have to participate in the discussions if they expect to get a certificate, you know, Cornell, uh, eCornell uh, certificate. Uh, and the discussions have been just fantastic. These people, uh, it turns out, we've now also had on our program some people that are very significant people in this country, and uh, and a lot of doctors and healthcare workers and and uh, just the general public are taking a course. And so, um, as I say, it's, it's been a really rewarding experience, and we expect that to grow more. Um, and we try to treat the subject. I'm sure we can continue to improve. You know the quality of the information, but this they, the course that really started with lectures I had given at Cornell University for seven years in a course that was uh, leaning in this direction, obviously. And uh, so we're getting really good feedback on that. That's one thing our our foundation is doing. And as I say, I want to give all the credit really to my young colleagues, uh, one of whom, Megan Murphy, who uh, actually was a class in my class at Cornell and then came and sort of headed up that group. And we have uh, teaching assistants, uh, highly qualified professional nutritionists who are you know, teaching assistants running each of these sort of virtual classes. And, and we just got a great team together, and it turns out that uh, we're, the feedback we're getting is pretty extraordinary. That's one I thing. Yeah, we've got some, we, we got some other things on, the, on, the, on our website, too. Uh, that's in a little uh, earlier stage. Uh, we're developing some programs that, um, you know, of information, uh, also a couple of things that we're, we're going to be sort of a membership-based kind of program. Mm -hmm. I have to take a step at a time, but we're focusing on the courses primarily right now. And for our listeners, what's the website? It's my name. Uh, that wasn't my choice. I wasn't inclined to 
advertise mm-hmm. name quite that way, but uh, that's what I was encouraged to do. It's uh, tcollincampbell.org. And that's where everyone can find out uh, about the eCornell certification program and all the other great stuff you're working on. Right. And in another month, I should add, or maybe two months almost. Anyhow, it's already been approved. We're going to be able to offer CME credits. That's continuing medical education credits for you know, professional medical people like doctors and so forth, as well as other professional credits for other professionals. Uh, at, this, at the present time, we've got three courses, and when people complete those courses, then they're entitled and, and you know, uh, subject to their participation. You know, this discussion hasn't been a problem at all, but they have to, you know, go along with the participation discussion group. Then they're offered uh, a certificate. From, from you know, jointly signed by our foundation and by uh, eCornell. That sounds like a wonderful program, especially for yeah people in the medical field that are looking to uh, to start implementing implementing this type of uh, nutrition counseling with their with their patients. I think it's wonderful. Right, it is. It's, it's fun. So before we wrap it up, um, for those who may be a little bit skeptical or those who are kind of leaning a bit on the fence uh, in trying to go more towards a, a plant-based diet, what would be some of your tips and suggestions for them to kind of push them over the edge a little bit to give them a little, a little boost to, to move in that direction? Well, first I, I should tell them about a little information that's not often known, namely you know, the kind of food that we like, we've become accustomed to, is, of mm-hmm. course, the kind of food we've been eating for some time. It's a big meat eater, and it's been doing it for years. I mean, that's, that's, that's one's favorite taste. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, I like to say we're prisoners of our taste preferences, okay? Mm-hmm. And we now know that those taste preferences are driven to a great extent by how much fat there is in the food, in the diet, or driven by how much salt there is, and to some extent how much sugar there is. I mean, those are the three biggies. And so um, without our knowing it necessarily or identifying it that way, uh, when we become uh, accustomed to eating the typical American diet, generally high in fat, high in sugar, high in salt, or all three, uh, that's what we want. But now we know, you know, if there's some test in the scientific community, that, uh, that fat is essentially an addictive uh, preference. It actually causes you know, like a chemical addiction when we're accustomed to consuming high-fat diets. And... Uh, salt, not uh, not chemically addictive like that, but nonetheless addictive. Uh, what we now know is that if people will change from a high-fat, high-salt, high-sugar diet to the, what we should be eating, a whole plant-based foods, initially they might not necessarily like it. They might find it bland. Mm. And people will try it, do it for a few days, say, I don't want to do that kind of thing. Uh, but in reality, it takes about a month, maybe two or three months in some cases, for them to fully acquire the new taste. And when they get there, they don't want to go back. In fact, in many cases, they really can't go back because they go back and they start using a really high-fat diet. They actually can feel nauseated and get physiological responses. And so that's rule number one. They have to be conscious of the fact that uh, it may take a little while, but just realize that at the end of the day, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And what then when they arrive at the you know, total plant-based diet idea, they will discover new tastes, become accustomed to it, and they will never have ever tasted food so good in their lives. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Um, and the food I'm talking about is obviously vegetables, fruits, uh, grains, you know, all the whole food form, legumes. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there's infinite varieties of how one wants to do that. Uh, you know, you need some energy. Energy being provided in this case by tubers, especially and, and whole grains, um, and then you use a lot of uh, foods with uh, color in them, you know, like the leaves, the, the greens, yellows, reds. I mean, that that color that's imparted to foods, in fact, is attributed to chemicals in the food that also happen to, in most cases, to be chemicals that are antioxidant in nature. And having a diet rich in antioxidants is a good idea. That's really what tends to prevent cancer, cure cancer, cure heart disease, and all the rest. And so, um, we, and, and once, you know, using those kind of foods, don't fry them, rule number one. Don't oversalt things because you're going to be in this new, new program now. And, uh, you know, obviously don't you know, really cut down on the sugar. 
as much as uh, one one can. And uh, and mix and match, use a lot of flavors and spices and herbs and stuff like this can be used to really make very tasty dishes. Absolutely. It's definitely not uh, the boring food that people have made it no. out to be, that's for sure. Not not by any stretch of the imagination, no. Well, I so appreciate you uh, coming on the show today and making the time for us. Your book has been a wonderful tool for me, even having been vegan for almost 12 years now. To have found your book, it has made my message a lot more clear uh, for folks, and uh, I've uh, been able to kind of get some people to make the switch because of your book, and I'm excited that uh, you're in the Forks Over Nimes films coming out shortly, so I think with the, the book and the film and everything that you're continuing to do, there's just no denying that, that things are going to be shifting, and, uh, and I'm so grateful for all the work that you've done. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm excited about being part of it. I look forward to, to much more from you, Dr. Campbell. <laughs> well, thank you again. Thank you. Everybody stay with us because after the break, I will be chatting with vegan chef and nutritionist Alex Jameson. I'm having a great time. Ted, you have something dangling from your chin. Okay, here. Uh, did I get it? Not yet. It's right under your, um, I think it is your chin. Oh, yeah, my double chin. <laughs> I'm losing it thanks to small step number 85. When eating out, choose smaller portions. I see. Well, it's working. Uh, I think your chin just fell into my ceviche. Take a small step to get healthy at smallstep.gov, a public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Thanks for coming back to Healthy Voyager Radio. You may know my next guest as the gal who, perhaps begrudgingly, stood by her man when he underwent his 30-day foray as a fast food eater in Super Size Me, an accomplished vegan chef and a holistic nutritionist, a best-selling author, a wife, and a new mother. With me now is Miss Alexandra Jameson. Hello, Alex. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show. Tell us uh, a little bit about how you found yourself going down the path of being a plant-based chef and nutritionist? Well, I always say I got really lucky and I got sick at a very young age. I was <laughs> in my mid-20s and I started to feel terrible. I had knee surgery when I was about 25 and I think the heavy antibiotics and painkillers just kicked out what was left of my immune system after eating total junk through my mm -hmm. late teens and early 20s. And I began to put on weight like I had never done in my life. I was about 20 pounds heavier than I am now. And I put on weight very quickly, and I was depressed. I had no energy. I was having migraine headaches several days wow. a week. And I thought, I am not supposed to feel this bad. I'm 26. Yeah. And I was really lucky that it happened so young, so fast. I went to a regular doctor about the headaches because they were really bad. And he said, well tell me your other symptoms. I told him I was depressed. I had no energy. He said, you know, we might want to think about something like Prozac for you. Oh, and I thought, no. I thought, that is not the problem. It's <laughs> not a lack of Prozac in my body that is the problem. And I decided to go to a more holistic doctor. I come from Oregon. My parents are what I like to call idealistic educators. They were basically hippies. And <laughs> So I had this idea in my head that the way I grew up was very healthy food. My mom grew a lot of our own vegetables and fruit because she was an organic gardener. Um, she had an organic gardening radio show for about 10 years when I was a kid, but I totally got away from that healthy eating as a teenager. And I thought there's something about the way I grew up that's the key. I went to a more natural doctor, a holistic doctor, and he actually asked me what I was eating. It was the first time a doctor had asked me that question. And so crazy. he said, well, look, no wonder you're sick. You eat total garbage all the time. I ate fast food all the time. I ate McDonald's. I drank soda, constantly coffee, no vegetables in my diet. Um, so I very quickly realized that I had to change everything, and I had hit bottom. So that's a great time to make change. When you're so miserable, you're willing to do anything. And I became vegan almost overnight. I decided that was the way for me. And I had to learn how to cook all over again. 
So I found yeah. the Natural Gourmet Institute, which is the cooking school here in New York City, founded by Anne Marie Colbin. And I thought, this is it. This is exactly what I want to do. I learned mm-hmm. how to cook. I went through their professional training program. I started working in restaurants and as a private chef. And that's how it all got started. Neat. So since you were already vegan and you'd already learned all this great stuff, was your experience during those awful McDonald's-filled 30 days horrible? Were you scared? Were you disgusted? Was it kind of all of the above? It was all of the above. I actually begged Morgan not to do the 30 days of McDonald's. I said, no, this is a terrible idea. You're going to get so sick. None of the doctors he was seeing, you know, he had three doctors and a nutritionist following his progress. They all said, well, you know, you might put on a few pounds. Your cholesterol might go up a little bit. But, you know, the body's very resilient. You'll be fine. And I said, no, dude, you are going to get so sick. And by week three, his liver was leaking enzymes. He was giving himself non-alcoholic hepatitis in three weeks. Oh, my God. That's horrible. Crazy. So I was, you know, it was one of those cases where I told you so would have been an appropriate response, but (laughs) I was so worried about him. And as soon as he was done with the 30 days, I was totally in control of his diet. And that's how I ended up writing my first book was detailing how – I fixed him and his health. After yeah, I can imagine. Some major damage control for sure. Right. So so you wrote The Great American Detox Diet following that. Tell us about that book a little bit. Yeah, that book follows the eight major areas that Americans need to focus on when it comes to cleaning up their diets. It looks at the standard American diet talks about the eight major areas that need to be cleaned up and changed. And there's a, a basically one week devoted to each of those topics with a few other little goodies and tidbits thrown in and covers eight weeks of how to change your diet around. Nice. Very cool. And, for, and it's for all sorts of folks, people that are maybe already vegan but being junk food vegan eaters as well as people who really just need to clean up their act and and go in that direction? Is it kind of good for both sides? Absolutely. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know quite a few junk food vegans. Um, I've, you know, I dabble in junk food vegan foods every once in a while myself. It's sure, fun. for sure. <laughs> it's fun to <laughs> so make. these days. Yeah, it's fun to make cupcakes and, you know, bean, beanie, beanie yeah. weenies, et cetera. But, um, yeah. the, but this book really works for the average American who eats everything and the junk food vegan who has some specific health issues they need to work out and address with their diet. Excellent. So what's your approach when working with your clients? Do you always promote a plant-based diet um, and or do you only get people who are looking to move towards a plant-based diet or do you kind of work with both, even the resistant ones? I will work with anybody, actually. Um, I am... I am not about trying to make everyone vegan because I don't actually think it's the the only ideal diet out there. I think that there are different body types, and I wouldn't ask an Eskimo living near the Arctic Circle to be a vegan. Um, I really have to respect that people are coming from different places, from different backgrounds. Um, I do strongly encourage people to try it for a few mm-hmm. weeks while I'm working with them to help them do it the right way and incorporate the really nutritional foods that are going to help boost their immune systems and give them the really powerful nutrients that they need and see what happens. You know, how do you feel when you take dairy out of your diet? How do you feel when is when meat is gone or what about gluten? You know, there's all kinds of foods that can be experimented with. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm really I meet people where they are. Excellent, excellent. And there there are so many who won't. So I think a lot of people are afraid of of those type of plant based folks mm-hmm. who don't want to be tolerant of that. <laughs> right, right. I, I I don't think that that um, gets us any more converts to the vegan lifestyle. When Agreed. We're, when we're super hardcore like that, it, it can turn a lot of people off and scare some people. So I'd rather I'd rather help people experiment with it and give them time to make adjustments and, and see what works for them over a period of time. Mm-hmm. 
for sure. Now, I know we were talking about junk food vegans, and these days, I know I've been vegan for 12 years now, and 12 years ago, there wasn't this great vegan cheese option, and there wasn't these great gourmet vegan places all over the place. It was very few and far between, and now there's vegan food everywhere. It's gourmet, it's this and that, and there's all these selections available. So how do you navigate the choppy waters of what's now a prevalent junk food vegan market? It is sometimes hard to navigate. I now have a son who's almost four, and I could easily feed him vegan junk food every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's remarkable how much, how many more options there are. And there are really good, healthier kind of prepackaged processed foods available mm. for vegans, like, like some of the vegan cheeses that are actually quite good. Like I, I love Daya cheese, not as mm-hmm. an everyday food, um, but it melts. It's actually soy-free for people who can't eat soy. Um, but there's there's other vegan products out there that are junk food-like but are healthier for you. Here in New York City, we have a local brand called Dr. Cow Nut Cheeses, which are, oh, those delicious, are delicious, amazing mm-hmm. nut cheeses, which you can get shipped to you. It's a bit expensive to have it shipped to you in other parts of the country, but there are whole foods-based ingredients and foods out there for people who want snacks. Like even the proliferation of raw cocoa products is remarkable. There are so many mm-hmm. excellent high-quality chocolate bars out there that I'm really, I'm really not that worried about people eating those on a more regular basis because the quality mm-hmm. is so good. It's not going to do as much harm as eating a Snickers bar every day. Right, absolutely. So why did you choose to focus on nutrition for women as opposed to for everyone? I know your website is empowering women. Why did you go yeah. in that direction? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been working with people as a health counselor, as a chef for um, about nine years now, and I have found that most of my clients were women, and I, I had to figure out a way to talk to them through my website, you know, mm. use, using a website as a service provider, as a counselor is, you're, you know, you're putting yourself out there. It's your advertising. It's also where I put all my recipes and my articles. Um, I put a ton of stuff on my blog. And I, I had to figure out a way to talk to the women that I felt most drawn to working with. Now, that being said, I actually work with a good handful of men every year. And mm-hmm. I love the men that I work with. So I like to call my business Nutrition for Empowered Women and the Men That Love Them because <laughs> the, the men who come to my website and can see past the name of my business and still contact me are the kind of guys I want to work with. They're ready, they're ready to look at their food as a holistic part of their life, and they're, they're ready to listen and make changes. So I dig working with guys for sure. Awesome. And now that you're a new mommy, well, somewhat of a new mommy, for he's a big boy now, yeah. how has your diet and your daily meal planning changed from when it was just you guys and now now there's three? Well, I definitely have to plan more in advance. Um, I usually do one big shopping trip a week with a couple more little shopping trips during the week. Now, I live in New York City and we don't have a car, so I do most of my grocery shopping. I actually have a bike with a trailer on it. So I can fit my kid and like four bags of groceries in it. So that actually works pretty well. Um, And then I go to the, I'm usually at the green market at Union Square a couple times a week. So I'll pick up things there as well, like fresh greens throughout the week, fresh bread, stuff like that. And I definitely have to just think ahead and sit down and write out a menu plan or at least have a good sense of what I'm going to be doing for the rest of the week. And that's something that I counsel my clients on all the time is, you know, let's look at what's going to be happening for the next six or seven days for you and figure out what you need to buy now to be prepared for that so that you're not caught starving at the end of the day with nothing ready to go. And that's when you end up eating a lot of junk food. Mm -hmm. fast and prepared or you buy something fast food on the way home so that's you know that's how it works I was actually really lucky I grew up with two parents who cooked my dad cooked and my mom cooked and they were a great example I learned from a really early age like this is how you plan ahead this is how you create meals for a family so that you're not eating out all the time I'd say that we eat 90% of our meals at home 
Excellent. That's wonder. It's a wonderful model for people who are thinking, oh, well, once you have kids, then forget it. It's fast food all the time. There's no time. And you're right. There's always time as long as you make it. There is. And I have two examples of what has really inspired me from my family. Um, my dad is actually a high school principal. Now, if you don't know this, high school principals actually work more than anyone else on the face of the planet. He works like 70 to 80 hours a week. He was always wow. working. And his his wife is a high school teacher as well, and they have two teenagers at home. So they're busy people, super busy people. Now, a few years ago, they redid their kitchen. So their kitchen was actually out of commission for almost a month, redoing the plumbing and the gas lines, everything. So they didn't have a way to cook at home, but they ate out twice that month. They did that by planning ahead. They did it so well. They saved a ton of money, and they felt great. They actually used either a friend's kitchen once or twice a week and just took all the stuff there to cook ahead a few meals or a week ahead, or they would actually buy a bunch of stuff and take it to my dad's high school kitchen and, like, cook there for a few hours, package it up, take it home. So this whole, like, week in a weekend is actually something that I'm working on to create some video programs, show people how to create a whole week's worth of menus over the course of a weekend so that you can you know, do things in advance, save yourself some money, and eat healthy. Absolutely. And, you know, I like to say cook once, eat thrice. You know, cook one yeah. thing and then use it a few times over because then, you know, not everyone has time to cook every single day. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a smart idea. Now, what was it like being pregnant and vegan, and did you catch any black from anybody, from doctors? How did you combat it? I did, actually. Um, I I went the more, <laughs> the more alternative route. I actually had a home birth with a midwife and a doula. And now my midwife is very aware of nutrition. She's um, a nurse midwife. So she, you know, had the full-on medical gear, everything with her. And mm. she was very, very on top of my nutrition. And she said, look, I do this for everyone. I'm constantly asking what people are eating, if they're eating enough. And she was really, um, really communicative with me about what I was consuming. And I just ate a ton. I just ate tons of greens. I ate just a lot more of what I was usually eating. Mm-hmm. And I, I came through the pregnancy really well. My son was nine pounds when he was born. We had him at home. Um, wow. And I, you know, I nursed him I breastfed for almost two years and he did really really well Um, I did get some flack from family members (laughs) (laughs) family members were more of of an issue um, mainly from Morgan's side of the family they were they were a lot more concerned um, or at least they expressed it maybe my family was concerned but they kept to themselves (laughs) And they um, they were questioning me, but I had all of the facts. I actually had some information to share with them. I said, look, you know, check this out. Look at this website. Here's some information. This shows this is perfectly safe for most women to do. I was in great health going into the pregnancy, which I think mm-hmm. is important. If you're considering getting pregnant any time in the next couple of years, you need to start eating now as if you're going to get pregnant any day now. Mm. Good advice, for sure. And I know that's a big concern amongst uh, vegan women. The A, the flack that they're going to receive, and B, if if they can really handle it. And I know some women also think, uh-oh, well, I've been vegan for some time now. Am I going to crave a burger? And what do I do if that happens? Um, so, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot uh, lingering in the minds of a lot of vegan women. But, but what you said was great, just to be prepared and and wow, a nine-pound baby, that's a big vegan baby. <laughs> that's a big vegan baby for sure, absolutely. And and cravings are something that every pregnant woman has to deal with. And there mm. are some really wonderful books, you know, your vegan, your vegetarian pregnancy, your vegan pregnancy, raising vegetarian children. You know, there's all these books out there that offer advice. I really recommend that women um, – start using sea vegetables now, um, eating sea vegetables on a regular basis, and lots of nuts and seeds, and all those really nutrient-dense foods are what's going to help you get through the pregnancy. Excellent. So do you work with a lot of pregnant ladies or, or women that want to get pregnant that uh, are some of your clients vegan trying to do the same thing? 
Yeah, I have worked with a good handful of pregnant women, women who want to get pregnant. Um, There's actually one woman I worked with many years ago who was about to start the adoption, or she was in the middle of the adoption process because she and her husband couldn't get pregnant. And they hadn't yet adopted a kid by the time we finished our program together. I actually got an email from her like a year and a half later saying, oh, my God, I got pregnant. Now I have two kids. It was really, it was totally amazing. Like she changed her diet, her body got really healthy, and she got pregnant, which is wonderful. That is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of great possibilities out there. Yeah, for sure. So now that you're a wife and a mom and you've got all this great information under your belt, what what tips do you have for those who are kind of flirting with the idea of maybe switching to a plant-based diet um, or those that are trying to encourage their loved ones to begin implementing a more plant-based food diet? I love to lure people in with really a sumptuous experience. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky to live in New York City. We have some of the best vegan restaurants on earth here. And I love taking people to a place like Hangawe or Suen or Blossom or Candle 79, like one of these really amazing top-line vegan places, and show them how incredible the food can be. And 99.9% of the time, they are blown away, just totally blown away. They're like, I, I wouldn't have even thought that that meal was vegan because I, it tasted so good from start to finish. I just had a great meal. It didn't matter that it was vegan. So that kind of thing is great. Um, I also encourage people to start with one meal a day, like maybe just do breakfast vegan. Mm. Or just do Mondays vegan. You know, there's now meatless Mondays. I find doing mm-hmm. one meal a day is the easiest way to start it. Like, get one part of the day under your belt. If you have more time to prepare dinner than breakfast, then make dinner vegan. And explore with easy recipes first. Try a couple new recipes a week. By the end of the month, you'll have like eight new recipes that you've tried. So start with one meal a day and see how it goes. Very cool. Great tips for sure. Yeah, definitely a way to a possible vegan's brain is through their stomach. <laughs> mm-hmm. So where can we find out more about you and your services, uh, speaking engagements and all that stuff? And do you offer uh, your services to people nationwide, not just in New York? I do. I work with many, many clients on the phone. And my website is nutritionforempoweredwomen.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Alex Nutrition. Um, and I have two books out. One is The Great American Detox Diet. The one that came out last year is Living Vegan for Dummies. And my next one will be out in November, which is Vegan Cooking for Dummies. It's a whole vegan cookbook for dummies. Cool. So this very, November, right? Yes, in just a couple of months. I'm very excited. Very exciting. Great for holiday gifts. Yes, absolutely. And if you're going to be in uh, New York City, I would love to have you at the uh, book party in early December. So let me know if you're going to be around. Mm, I may have to go that way just for the book party. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again for for coming on the show. I know uh, it's time away from your boys, so I'll let you get back to it. But thanks again for all your great information and all that you're doing for the women and the men who love those women. and all that's coming up in the future for you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was great. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Too much salt can drive up blood pressure and increased risk for stroke and heart disease, two leading causes of death in the U.S. Most Americans eat more than double the amount of salt recommended by experts. It can come from places other than the salt shaker, in canned goods like soup and packaged foods like frozen dinners. It's also hiding in breads and cereals. Read food labels, enjoy more fresh fruits and vegetables, and look for low-sodium alternatives. For more information, visit www.cdc.gov. A message from CDC. And that's a wrap for this week's Healthy Voyager Radio. Please be sure to check out tcollincampbell.org as well as nutritionforempoweredwomen.com for more information on my guests as well as their books, speaking tours, films, and all-around incredible health information. As for me, of course, I'm at Healthy Voyager on Twitter. 
I'm all over Facebook. If you just uh, look up the Healthy Voyager or Healthy Voyager, um, you'll see the group page, the fan page, and all kinds of other goodies. YouTube as well, you can do the same to find the channel so you can see the travel shows, the product reviews, um, the cooking shows, and all the other neat stuff I've got going on there. And then, of course, HealthyVoyager.com where you can see weekly new articles on healthy living, green living, recipes, uh, the radio show, videos, all kinds of great stuff, in addition to the social networking side of it, where you can log on and create your own profile and meet others that are health-minded. Um, and if you subscribe to the newsletter, weekly newsletter, uh, you'll get it on Mondays, easy in your inbox, and it'll keep you up to date on what's new on HealthyVoyager.com, as well as special offerings for subscribers like coupons and discounts and neat stuff like that. So check it out all at HealthyVoyager.com. Again, I'd like to thank Dr. T. Colin Campbell as well as Alex Jameson for all of their great information today. I'm so honored to have them both on the show. Very exciting. And be sure to check out uh, podcasts of past shows at HealthyVoyager.com as well as on iTunes and Zune if you've got a Zune where you can subscribe and never miss a show. And be sure to join me next week as I chat with two eco-women warriors. Um, first, Miss Rebecca Tekel and Rachel Avalon. Great green ladies doing some neat stuff out there in the world. Very excited to have them on the show next week. And before we head out, I'm going to play us a song uh, by American Idol winner Ruben Studdard. For those of you who don't know, Ruben was, uh, once a robust singer who lost over 100 pounds by going vegan. And he proudly talks about it when he's asked about his successful weight loss. And I think it's pretty darn cool. So uh, you can find out more about Ruben Studdard at RubenStuddard.com. And yeah, if he can do it, anyone can do it. He was a big guy and I'm sure he was used to eating just a lot of junk. And for him to get so disciplined and lose all that weight, that is fabulous. So uh, don't think it's too tough. I'm sure he's excited with his weight loss and still eating delicious stuff. So check him out at RubenStuddard.com. All right, thanks so much for joining me today. Have a great weekend and talk to you next week. Enjoy How You Make Me Feel by Ruben Studdard. Bye. Just the way you make me feel